So I want, I want to start off, uh, our passage today, as she read it, you'll see there's this theme of light and dark in it. I referenced it in the beginning of our, past, uh, of our, of our time today when I referenced Jesus coming to the world, he's the light of the world. I want to go a little bit bigger than that because um, uh, we are in the book of Romans. We are uh, uh, probably about 50 sermons into Romans right now. Uh, Lord willing, we'll finish off this summer. Uh, we've been there for a long time, and, and but because we do this style of teaching called expositional teaching where we plow through a text, sometimes... You can lose, lose track of what's happening in the other 65 books, right? Well, one of the great themes in the scriptures is this enormous, massive theme of darkness and light. I just want to track it for a second with you. And so I could give you these texts later on. I'm mostly just going to read them to you. But I want to start in the very beginning with darkness and light. And I want to finish in the very end with light and heaven. So I want to track this because our passage today shows up in that theme, that river of light and dark that goes through. In Genesis 1, verses 1 to 5, it says this, uh, one of the grand pictures started of light in the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and called the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So this is the eruption of created darkness and light. God exists outside of all darkness and light. God exists. He is there first, right? So he creates darkness, creates light. It shows up in the text. Darkness then shows up again and again and again, all the way through the Old Testament. In the earliest of books, um, on to the very last ones. And darkness, particularly when it references in the Old Testament, New Testament, refers to an issue of understanding and heart embrace. Understanding and heart embrace. So it refer, we, we, we understand this a lot in our English concepts of like, oh, that person is pretty dark-hearted. That's, that's a heart embrace of something that's bad. Or they're, they're living in the dark. That is, a, uh, that is a living without information. But it shows up in the Old Testament too. Thinking back all the way to the first book of the Old Testament, not... Uh, sequentially, which would be Genesis, but probably the earliest book, which is Job, it says, these people, they meet with darkness in the daytime, and they grope at noonday as in the night. So with this reference of darkness referring to mental and moral lostness. In the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Old Testament, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind, and you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways. So he's not talking about physical blindness. He's talking about like mental and spiritual blindness. A, a, a clouding of the mind and therefore a clouding of the heart that comes out of that. On to the book of Proverbs. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, and they do not know over what they stumble. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness in Psalm 82. And it's spiritual moral darkness even denies the presence of light as it shows up in the Old Testament. In the book of Job, they make night into day, and they say the light, they say, is near to the darkness. And so probably one of the themes of darkness is actually the denial of light or denying the separation of light and dark. But in the darkness of the Old Testament, God lays hope, and he used lays hope in the terms of light and dark. Uh, you'll probably recognize this from Christmas season. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. It was a prophecy about this one who would come and, and, and he would be the Messiah, the anointed one. Later on, we understand who that person is. It's Jesus. In John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus, finally it's unveiled. This whole light darkness thing is a great, a great Easter egg, a great like hidden prophecy. The fact that there is darkness, there is light. Christ himself is the light. And he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light of life. Because the light came in the world and the darkness rejected it, but didn't overcome it. The darkness didn't want the light. There's two types of reactions to the light found in John, th John, found in John 3. Um, those who love the light, those who hate the light. John 3, 19, 21. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. They loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. He wants to be dark. 21, and whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So if you don't come to the light, you're not true. Whoever does what is true comes to the light. So out of the, old, out of the scriptures, then finally our last piece is this, the book of Revelation, when it speaks of heaven and we are there with him. There's no sun anymore because Jesus is the sun who is the sun and he is the light of heaven. So this amazing picture from the Old Testament to New Testament about darkness and light coming into it and what darkness represents. It represents the intellectual, the moral, the heart-embraced lostness of humanity and all that Satan pushes. And in comes Christ, the light of the world, who brings true information and true heart embrace to that which is good. It's a scripture-long narrative of light and dark, and these concepts come into our play today. Uh, look in Romans chapter 3, verse 11. We're going 11 to 14 today. And our first piece today, our first point, is to be mindful of diminishing time. Verse 11. Besides this, you know the time. Now, besides this, what does it mean? Okay. Speed version of the book of Romans. 9 to 11. God's mercies are poured out. Amazing deep statements, right? And then we hit 12 and 13. And here's all the therefores. If, if God's mercy has been so great upon us and we've been covered by mercy, let us live for him. Let us care for how we love each other. Let us really follow Christ even when people don't love us. Chapter 13. And since we've been covered in mercies, therefore let us live properly under the governing authorities, not simply because they can bust us, but because we are people of conscience, because we're driven by Jesus, our King, and Jesus has made, designed, instituted, and sovereignly reigns over governments on earth, even though they are unbelieving, messed up people, um, like me and you, and many of them, most of them don't know the Lord. But he says, since you're followers of me of conscience, submit to the governing authorities. And then we get to this text. Further life instructions for those who have mercy. So if you've received God's mercy and you're happy about it, and if you're a Christian and you're not happy about mercy, um, either you're not a Christian or else something's tweaked in your mind. Because that's why there's this comfortability where we always, we're happy, we're happy to say, I, I'm not really I'm a person of, of mercy. I was lost. I was darkness. And Christ came to me and saved me. And I'm never going to mix that up. No matter what grows in me, I am always a man of mercy. And the more I grow in the Lord, I was talking to somebody in the last two days, the more I grow in the Lord, the more I see the depth of my sin, the more I see the amazingness of God. And so therefore, I see the more the magnitude of the cross of Jesus, the greater the mercy has been. And your heart delights in it. You're happy to talk about it. You don't need to fake it like you're all that good because there's no such thing as an all that good kind of Christian, right? We are people of God's mercy. So then we hit 11. 
And if you, if, you, if you don't have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open it there or grab your phone or something like that because we're going to park in, in chapter 13, verse 11 to 14. Uh, we might take a field trip over to Ephesians today, just warning you. <laughs> says this, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So let me go back and just explain that a little bit. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. So mind you, he's speaking this to Christians. So this is spoken to Christians, so Christians can be asleep in some sense. Um, I would tell you that there have been many, many, many moments, maybe more moments in my life where I've been spiritually asleep than I've been spiritually awake. So we as Christians, that we are saved, that we are loved by God, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, we can be snoozing. We can be off in our thinking, asleep. And the reason the need to be awake or to wake up is for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. So, so salvation here being not when you're going to come to know Jesus as your Savior, but when your eyes are coming to come to know Jesus, right? When you're actually going to be with him. In the text, by one of two things, either you're going to die and you're going to meet Jesus or else Jesus is going to return and you'll meet Jesus. And Paul's saying, wake up because that time is shorter than it's ever been. How do we know? Because that's the way time works. You're, you're going you're gonna to die or Jesus will come back and it's only getting shorter. It's not getting broader. So he's kind of begging an obvious argument here that time is getting shorter and so it's really appeal to wake up. Um, waking up is a, is a bit of a challenge, right? So there's probably some of us in the room that can't sleep and there's some of us in the room that can't but sleep. And um, I happen to be the latter category. I have, I have some good old-fashioned sleep apnea. Um, I think six sleep studies now. They tried a bunch of stuff. They cut off my uvula. They straighten out my nose. The mask, Darth Vader mask won't work. I do mouth taping. I do it all, okay? I sleep like a beast. Um, if, you, if you come to our offices where we work, whatever, you'll find I have a yoga mat. I can, I can lay down. I'm not bragging about this. It's just the way it works. I can set my alarm for 17 minutes, and I will sleep for at least 15 and a half minutes, minutes flat on my back immediately. I, I just fall asleep everywhere. Um, I remember back in seminary, there was a prayer class. You had to pray for an hour a day, and um, I just couldn't stay. I was at s working lo long hours and doing stuff like that. I couldn't stay awake, and one day I fell asleep and foreheaded into my bowl of cereal. So then I, um, <coughs> so then I decided I need to stand up and walk around my apartment to try to stay awake, and I nearly knocked over our refrigerator one night because I was in that moment of weakness, instead of walking around, I leaned, and I fell asleep leaning. So, like, um, <laughs> I fall asleep. And, um, and so I have to be really mindful to not doze or put myself in comfortable positions because I'm, I'm just a goner. Um, I fell asleep at a desk the other day with my hands folded against my chest. I don't know how long I was out, <laughs> but I came to and I couldn't pull my fingers apart. It had been a little bit of a time. So um, I remember growing up, I had a hard time waking up. Uh, my poor... My poor roommates in college, um, I, I would sleep through my loud alarm clock. There might be a couple of kids in the Burns house that have inherited this. Um, and I progressively would move my alarm clock across the room in the dorm. I had a big, we had big rooms. And so eventually I had to put my alarm clock across the room because I just, I just fall asleep. And, um, and God has really helped me with that now. And he gave me, Melissa as my wife, who like when a moth floats through the room, she's like, what's up? So... Um, <laughs> 
I've, my, my, my fear and love has come together to make me very sensitive to my alarm clock. I wake up now, but we all know what that's like. And many of us here have known what it's like to drift off when we're, sl- when we're driving. And that, yeah, that feel over you, and you're like, you, you know you should probably just pull over and walk around. But you're like, no, I can, go, I can keep going, right? That kind of dozy feel. And it's kind of a terrible feel. And if you really think about what's going on, you're 100% stupid for not pulling over and doing something because you're about ready to risk your life and everyone else's life because you're dozing off. So when he says wake up, it's not the only time the Spirit of God says in the New Testament to wake up. Um, He says in Ephesians, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Like to to shake yourself awake. Because we as believers can waste our lives going forward dozing. Not being fully aware of where we're at and fully aware of the ticking of time not fully aware of the people that literally live within 100 feet of our house that don't have hope and have, a, at, the, at this point in time, have an absolutely horrendous future ahead of them. And it's not even registering to us. Our kids, our grandkids, our spouses, our parents, it's not even registering to us. We're walking along with the truth of life and the hope of the whole world in our hands, and it's not even, we're just asleep at the wheel. So I've always taken these calls to wake from sleep uh, personally just because I struggle so much with sleep. Um, and I know how hard it is to shake it off. I know how hard it is to be on the 14th freeway in California with all my windows rolled down trying to drive at work at 5 in the morning and like putting my head partially out the window to like get the air in your nostrils and wake up. It's hard. You do what you have to do to wake up. And I guess with this text is this, number one, brothers and sisters, I would encourage you just with the straightforward thing is Are you committed to staying awake spiritually? Understanding truth, embracing it at a heart level. Understanding it, embracing it. Are you ready to fight for it? Do you fight for it? If you don't fight for it, you're probably dozing and asleep. I'm not saying you don't know the Lord. I'm just saying dozing is there, and it's the favorite Christian American pastime is to doze it off. And so it's a call to fight for it. Enough time is lost. It's time to wake up. Salvation is nearer than ever before. Um, time is getting shorter. Some other similar language in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 4. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time of the flesh no longer, the rest of the time of the flesh, no longer for human passions but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles did. The Gentiles are the people who, Scripture, aren't following the Lord. He goes, listen, you spend enough time pursuing the American dream. You spend enough time on the doze. Let's lock it in, right? Let's move forward. It says it multiple times in multiple ways in the scriptures. Ephesians 5, 16 and 17 says this, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do we not value our hour and the great mission of God? So our first piece in our text today is this, be mindful of your diminishing time as a believer. Um, You only have so much time on this earth. It's an incredible honor for us to be left here as believers, to be participants in the mission of God, to actually have uh, a stake in the eternal mission and war of what God is doing. Be mindful, because it's only getting shorter. And if you're thinking, okay, once I get out of school, then I'll do it. Once I get married, then I'll do it. Once I breed once, I'll do it. No, once I breed six times, do it. Okay, once, once those kids are like out of the house, once I'm an empty nester, once I'm 100, 
Well, what, what, what is that thing you're waiting for? Well, okay, then I'll really lock it in. The Spirit of God says through Paul this morning, enough time has come. Um, the time is short. You don't know what God's given you. Take it very seriously. Do not be asleep. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Interesting. Armor of light could also be weapons of light. Language used in the book of Ephesians also about how we actually, when we put our minds, when we're awake, we therefore grab after the things of the Lord, the word of the Lord, right? Prayer, faith in him, walking in him, trusting him, following him. Put on the armor of light. I want to give you, I want to give you about 30 seconds here. I'm, gonna, I want, I'm just going to invite you to pray with me. Just before we go the rest of it, there's two times we're going to do this sermon today. I just want, I just want to pray. I want to lead you into praying about, before the Lord, am I awake and wake me up? All right, would you guys bow your heads? Pray something like this. Father, please make me awake. Please let me understand and fully feel the reality of eternity and the shortness of this life. Let me believe and embrace the, righteous and be- the righteousness and beauty and light and see darkness for what it is. Please wake me up. Father, thank you for life. Thank you for the instructions to wake up. Thank you for your spirit giving that to us. I pray you'd help us by your spirit right now. Believe that. And Father, please answer our prayers you're giving us to let us wake up, to stay awake, to stay vibrant, to let zeal be strong and not be slothful. So please help us in Christ's name. Amen. So our first piece is this. Christ calls us to fight for full clarity and awareness that we may not waste our short time to live for Christ. So it says, cast off the works of darkness, right? What are those works? Look down verse 13. 13 says, let us walk, that's Bible language for live, properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So um, let's just talk about orgies for a second on Mother's Day. Um, uh, Here's the thing I would just encourage you to think about. The reason God mentions these things in the text is because we do them. Not because they're legends like unicorns and Bigfoot and things like that, but because we do them. In our neighborhood, we do them. Some of us in the room here have participated in that. I just would, I would be careful that when we read the scriptures, that we don't so quickly think that we don't struggle with these things. And don't so quickly think that I don't struggle with these things and the person next to you doesn't struggle with these things. Because this is the story of Christ. Christ comes to us in our darkness regardless of what we've done. Our message is hope for every living person out there, no matter who they are and what they struggle with and what they've done. No matter what type of sexual morality, what type of sensuality, what type of orgies of drunkenness and partying, um, worshiping of the dead or anything that's listed in the new testament christ came for us so i just would just say be careful as we look at things of the scripture and sins that as we talk about them that we don't move so quickly into um making fun of them in a way that anyone would think 
oh, I'm too far gone for the blood of Jesus. I'm too far gone for that person's fellowship. I'm too far gone to be one with them. Um, sin is sin. Sin is horrible. And there's a sense, absolutely, where there's a ridiculousness of our sin. I mean, there's an absolutely ridiculous. I know there's ridiculousness about my sin. And it may not make sense at all to you how I'm tempted and how I'm wired. But it's sinful, number one. Number two, it is ridiculous. It's like embarrassing is so ridiculous. But number three, and most importantly, it is covered by the blood of Jesus. As he will cover all of your sin, as he will cover everyone else's sin. And I'm telling you right now, in our greater neighborhood of Marion Village and German Village, because I have these discussions, there are orgies going on. Drug-fueled, heterosexual, homosexual orgies going on. I know they're going on. I talk to people who are in them. And those people deeply need Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you've come out of that, um, and you see your sin in this text, and you see it in drunkenness, or you see it in orgies, or you see it wherever it's at, I want to remind you, that if you have not come to Jesus, he will forgive you for that. He will save you. He will make you no longer a participant in these things, but a son or daughter of God. And if you are a son or daughter of God, your past is forgiven you. The accuser may hold it over your head and say, oh, but remember, you were one of those people that did that. Yeah, you were one of those people that did that. But then Jesus showed up on the scene with the full power of the cross and has abolished your sin, has cleaned your record, has made you full of righteousness, and you are topped out in the love of God. So let's be careful about how we sn uh, laugh at the ridiculousness of sin. It's ridiculous. It's powerful. But let's not do it in a way that ever makes people think that they're too far gone for Jesus or they're too far gone for fellowship with someone as righteous as you. Okay? So let's be careful with that. So he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So in the, in the New Testament, time and time again, wherever you're reading the New Testament, man, there are these lists that come out, and they're just like rattle-off list of all the dumb things we humans do on every continent of this planet, minus Antarctica, but they're probably doing that down in those research stations down there too. And, um, and this is where I want, maybe I'm just going to reference, um, reference some, some of, of Ephesians. So if you want to turn to Ephesians, you can. Why don't you go ahead and turn to Ephesians? Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Because it calls us to walk properly. Properly. If we've received all this mercy, if we are now the sons and daughters of God, there is a properness to the way we walk, a fittingness to the life. And these things aren't fitting. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 20 says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, the ones that are following Jesus. I'm a Gentile. I'm a redeemed Gentile. Most of you guys are too. A couple of Jewish folks out there. Love you. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. There's that darkness. And they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality stuff you feel greedy to practice every kind of impurity but that is not the way you learn christ go to five three but sexual morality and all impurity and covetousness notice these themes from which is read sexual morality and all impurity and covetousness must not be named even named among you it's zero tolerance as is proper fitting among the saints let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving 
For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that's an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. When we come to Jesus Christ, what are we asking God to do? We're asking him to take us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he does a change in us, and we have a new nature in us, right? We still fight against sin, we have a sin nature, but now we have the Spirit of God in us. And there's a new life and a new fittingness, a new properness to our life. And we are no, we may have wrestling with sexual morality in heart. And 97% of us here do. And sensuality, and 96% of us do. And strife and jealousy. We have struggles against that, but we don't live in that anymore. That doesn't mark our life. We don't live in jealousy unrepentantly. And we don't live in sexual morality unrepentantly. And when we fall into porn, we repent and run, out, run to the Lord out of it. We don't just live in it. So we're not a sexually immoral person anymore. But the thing is, we can start acting that way and thinking that way. And he says, there's, no, there's, there's absolutely improper. And the truth is, if we are unrepentant from these things, and his words... If you're unrepentant, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. And this, so this is Bibleese for like, pay attention very closely. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Zero tolerance for this stuff. First Peter chapter four, don't turn there. For in the past time, that is, the past suffices for doing what the Gentiles do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Sin is bad. Sin is really, really bad. God has a zero tolerance for it. It's so zero tolerance that if he wants your fellowship with him in heaven, he has to send Jesus to not only teach, but to die and rise again to take care of your sin because he has a zero tolerance on it. Praise God he has a zero tolerance on it. Praise God we'll be with him and there will be none of that. Praise God there's none of that sin in his heart. There's none of that shadow turning. And praise God our future has none of that with us even wrestling with that. It's an amazing, sweet thing. Ephesians 5, verses 8 to 13, in case you're still there. For one time you were, oh, here we go, darkness, light. Listen to the language. This is hot. Okay. When, you, when, you th when you're sharing the gospel, people, or you're thinking about gospel framing of life, you know, that category of fall, consider these words. For one time, you were darkness. Not you were in darkness. You were darkness. Brothers and sisters, is that true? Amen? For one time, you were darkness, and that's why we will grab that piece of bread back there, because we needed a substitute, because we were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So just as the full light of day informs people of their true surroundings, so Christ's illuminating light exposes bad, damaging, hurtful nature of sin. And we should walk according to the knowledge gained in Christ and fully abstain from these sins. So the second piece of our, of our lesson today out of this passage is we walk as one who can see. First one being, be mindful of your diminishing time. Second being, walk as one who can see. Our third piece finishes off our text in verse 14. Um, and the third, the, the third bullet point is plan Christ and burn the ship. Plan Christ, burn the ship. Verse 14, but put on, so this is a personal decision of the already Christian, 
Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that's a funny statement. Put on some Jesus. Like, how, how do we do that? We don't, we, don't, we don't have anything else in this world where we do that, where we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on some Joel McCloskey. Like, what is that, a fragrance? Is that a, um, is that a persona? Is that an act? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus our ruler. So it specifies not here the Savior Jesus Christ, but the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word provision there means a pre-plan. No provision, no pre-thought, no plan, no pathway. Cut it off. Cut off its access for the flesh to gratify its desires because that's what happens, James tells us. What is temptation? What is sin? Sin is when our desires are left on their own and we are driven by our own desires, our own orientations, and then it gives fruit to those temptations which then turns into sin. So desires unchecked. The desires you have are not by default, holy desires. They'll be holy desires as God gives them to you, but just because you desire something or you're oriented towards any certain way or dealing with people does not mean they're good. Your desires are designed to be placed under Jesus and are not designed to be followed. God has not called you to follow your heart, in case you're new to that. Right? He's not called you. He's called to follow him, not your heart. So, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What does it mean to put on something? It means to make a choice to intentionally adopt a mindset and an action. Here we're called to mindfully choose to live like Jesus himself. We think through what we've seen Jesus do. We, we read the Gospels again and again. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and watch Jesus go. Some of it's simple, right? Jesus didn't sin. That's kind of simple. Some of it's very complex. Watching Jesus in truth and love is an amazing show. I mean, if you're reading through John, um, and if you kind of forget that you read it before and try to guess Jesus' next move, it's not always clear what Jesus' next move is. It's always holy. It's always sinless. It's always truthful. But his decision of when to speak truth and when to move in with challenge and when to be soft, that is not clear to me. That is spirit-led, perfected Jesus. And so when we think about what it means to put on Jesus, we read his word, we look at Jesus, and then we ask the Spirit to lead us in as we put on, and that put on is a choice. It's not like, well, we're going to just go with this day, and if I'm Spirit-filled, I'm just going to mindlessly just feel this way, and I'm just going to follow what I feel. Um, you'll just, you're just going to follow your feel right into the trash can. That's what you're going to do. So instead, we reorient ourselves and who are, we are in the gospel of Jesus, and he says, put on on the Lord Jesus Christ. So engage your heart, engage your mind, remember who Christ is, the Lord Jesus Christ, and adopt his lifestyle, adopt his mindset, adopt his mission, his purpose, his values, all those things. Put him on with intentionality. And then, so if we are to be called to put on Christ continually, to plan on it, that's why he told us to put it on so we can plan on putting Christ on to abide with him, then we are called to unplanned sin unplanned sin to cut off the plans and provisions for temptation. Um, I was, we were having our DNA group, I think this week. I think it's DNA. And this, I knew this passage was coming up and I was talking to the guys about how um, in my personal life, how I've had to, this, this passage, I read this passage as a high schooler, make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And it had immediate, immediate as soon as I read the words, it had immediate action plan come out of it that I felt was given to me by the Lord. Like, oh man, because I had made provisions in my life to have fun. 
I had made provisions to fulfill my lusts and my desires. And so when I read that for the first time, the Spirit of God struck me hard in the heart, and the, and the action plan was very clear to me. It may or may not be very clear to you, but when you think about your flesh, your desires, like the question today is, do you have outstanding provisions made for that? Are you trying to walk with Jesus, but meanwhile, you have subscriptions, tools, physical things, social circles that are complete provisions and pathways for the flesh to march right inside you. Do you have those things? Consider the things you wrestle with the most. Maybe it's, maybe it's sexual lust. Maybe it's just complete, um, maybe it's just complete like greed. Maybe it's complete distraction escape, control people's approvals. So if, if those things are your strong, strong temptations in life, maybe consider what are the provisions that you have put in place to feed those. Um, consider your socialization. If it's fear of man or sexuality, consider your socialization. Are you spending time in places that is a provision for it and a complete on-ramp for that stuff to come into your heart? Uh, consider your planning priorities, like what is important and what do you plan, or how do you not plan? I'll just tell you for me, my, I like to not plan. I like to just go freestyle. When I don't plan, that is a provision for my flesh to do whatever I want to do, and there's a whole pile of wreckage in my life that comes distinctly from my plan to not plan, and just encounter things that roll before me. What is it as far as your planning? Maybe your tech. Maybe you have something in your pocket that needs to go away or needs to be restricted by screen time. Maybe you have subscriptions to magazines that bring things to your heart and to your mind. Maybe you're spending money on things that you don't need to. You're seeking desires and, and escape by just buying more clothes and buying more things or since you're too poor to buy it and you don't have credit, uh, you're just window shopping yourself to death. And so maybe you have these ways that are these provisions for it. And maybe it's food. Maybe it's food in the overindulgence of it. Maybe it's food in the denial of it in another way. Consider the provisions for your flesh. I want to give you one moment to pray about that. Um, would you just bow your heads and ask the Lord, please show me where I've made provisions for my flesh to win. And if he's already showed you, you can start repenting now. Father, then I ask that you would help them as you show them any provision that they have in the flesh to fulfill its lust. Would you please show them what that is and would you please lead them by your spirit right now to know how to cut that off? Give them an action plan, Father. We have here a call to plan, plan to keep putting on the Lord Jesus and to eliminate your plans and pathway to sin. Christ calls his followers to be keen in their thought perspective, choosing to capitalize on our short earthly lives and adopting the mind and character of Christ, watchfully cutting off our pathways to sin and failure. So Father, won't you please be with us? We thank you for your word. 
I pray that you would please help us to, to be awake and to uh, be committed to shaking ourselves to mental clarity and heart clarity, to not be asleep in you. Please, Father, let us be very in tune with what is fitting for you that we would flee from and cut off all of this sin that is not proper or fitting or helpful or satisfying and grieves your heart. And Lord, give us the strength to put on Christ. So please amaze us more and more with Christ. Fill our hearts and our minds with him. Give us these graces, Father, that we might thrive in you and live in joy and taste the joys that you've designed for us and to be able to share those joys with the people around us. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we finish out our time in song and in communion. Father, I pray that you would be with the souls here who happen to be listening online or in person here who um, are right with you. I pray that you would please draw them near and let them call upon the name of Jesus Christ that they would know you. And if my brothers and sisters are struggling, Lord, give them the courage and the obedience to, to run from their sin and cling to you. And for those that are resting in you, Father, I pray that you would give them help and uh, a plan, Lord, in how to further pursue you and to stay awake and to be ever more awake and help others be awake too. We thank you that you are the light of the world and that you came into our darkness and you overcame it. We thank you for taking us as being children of darkness and making us children of light. And so we thank you for this. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.